people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens. Wherever you are in this day listening to global news in social artistry, we have the pleasure of talking to people who have been and are building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm your host, Tom Piper, sitting in today for Dick Dalton, who's visiting family in Portland, Oregon. We're here in KOPN Studios in Columbia, and my guest today is Joe Mertzliff, a longtime Columbia resident, businessman, sports fan, and fellow Apple enthusiast. Welcome, Joe. Let's start with, oh, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in St. Louis, and then uh, we moved here to Columbia in about 1970. 1970? It's been almost 50 years ago. That's correct. Well, were you educated locally? Did you go to school here? Yeah, I started out uh, actually at Columbia Catholic. I was in second grade when we moved here. Then we found a house over in the Shepherd Boulevard area, so we moved over there and, and transferred to that school. Went to Jeff Jr., and then we actually moved to Centralia uh, before my high school year, so I went to Centralia for high school. And have you had any training since then? Had quite a bit of training with Apple and IBM. Worked for my my first uh, tech job was with uh, Century Next Computers, which was on Walnut Street. Through that company, they sent me to Texas for some Apple training and Florida for some IBM training. Got certified in repairing both of those technologies. I live in Jefferson City, and what there was also a Century Next store in Jefferson City. In fact, I think that was the first Apple store down there. Yeah, I believe. Well, there was actually Data Pro was first. Apple asked us to to move down there and open up a store. So, uh, so we did that. Gosh, what year was that? It was uh, early '80s, I believe. Now, after all that background and training, you actually started your own store, as I recall, right here in Columbia. Yeah. Tell me uh, more about that. So in um, 85, uh, Century Next got purchased by another company. They decided they were wanting to expand to the Kansas City area. At the time, Apple and IBM would not let you open new stores. So they bought out the store I was working for. After about 30 days, they came in in surprises and said, hey, it's not working out, we're gonna close shop. I think it was because the Columbia store was the heavy payroll. They left the Jeff City store open, left me unemployed, newly engaged, and so I decided to open up a service-only shop. Service-only? Well, there wasn't much to service at that time, was there? Well, I had a lot of people ringing my phone off the, you know, off the wall based on uh, the fact that they had dropped their machines off at our store. Uh, we had moved it to Broadway, and uh, when, when they closed up the shop, I said, hey, can I bring these computers back to my customers? And, and they said, sure. So I, my apartment had about 10 machines in it that I was finding my customers and getting them their machines back, and they're like, who's going to fix them, who's going to fix them? And so... I opened up a service shop uh, and and took care of them. Now, things have kind of changed since then. I mean, that's uh, what kind of things would you do to fix a computer? You 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 take the chips out, you throw them away. What, what do you do? Well, back then with the Apple and IBM both, um, you stocked parts. So if if you expected a a disk drive would have three or four parts, and these were floppy disk drives, but they would have like an analog card and a drive mechanism a cable which hardly ever would go bad unless the cat chewed it up but uh, you would stock these parts and uh, when something when you diagnosed what was wrong you would get sell the customer the new part and then you would send the bad part back to to Apple using UPS uh, and wait three or four days and then they'd send you a replacement part and charge you a difference so you basically gave them a, a stock part first, and then they would send you back a good part. So it was really hard on the dealers because we had to stock a lot of inventory if we wanted to provide fast service. Now, did everyone bring their stuff into the store? Or did you do home visits like doctors used to do? Uh, we did some home visits back then for the most part. This was back in the Apple II days. Uh, most everybody brought it to us with the exception of school districts. and. Actually, a lot of the school districts would bring it to us also, but we would go to the schools to set them up when they were new, and that was one of the jobs that that I did was I'd go out to the schools, do the setup, uh, make sure that they were working, train a teacher or resource person. They didn't all have their own resource people at that time, but uh, we'd get them them started. 
I remember very painfully that some of the things that would happen with early computers, like we talk about cats or dogs that chew up the wires and get back behind the computer sitting on the floor, or even mice love to have the wires, and and unusually squirrels get into them. And, and, and so I don't know why wires are so attractive to these little rodents. Yeah, it's, I think maybe some of the LED lights might attract them. Uh, obviously, warm spots in the winter. Uh, we've seen some surprises. Uh, I remember one time a, uh, a little bitty garden snake had gotten into the back of a computer. Snake? <laughs> yeah. In a computer? Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, the, there's uh, lots of lots of little uh, signs of rodents being in, you know, little stuff that's left behind. But uh, the the cleanouts that we've done in the past, it's you know too long of a list to remember. But but yeah, a lot of things would get in because back in the day, the towers they would always sit on the floor. You know, now a lot of the all-in-ones sit up on your desk because the monitor's right there. But the towers, when they sat on the floor, you a lot of different things could get inside there. I think they were magnetic because all the dust that they would collect and dirt and little dust bunnies. And we could always tell when the consumer was a smoker or lived on a gravel road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet when you took them apart, you could find lots of dirt and stuff inside because that... Didn't most of those things have fans in them, too? Uh, quite a few of them had fans. Apple was really the first company to try to do away with the fan and have the heat rise on some of their Macintosh models. But all the old Apple IIs and IBMs, the uh, portables, they all had pretty heavy-duty fans in them built into their power supplies. Now, after time, not only did you do service, you actually sold product, too, didn't you? Yeah, about six, six to 12 months into my service-only business, uh, the uh, the one of the only shops left in town that was Apple authorized was wanting to get out of the business and and we you know came upon a compromise and and I bought them out and became fully authorized to to sell the Apple product I I never got authorized myself to sell IBM just the Apple product because uh, that's really where my love was and dedication. Well, there's a things have changed so much in the computer world. You know, we think about, you were talking about towers, things that sit on the floor and whatnot. And now you look at a screen and you say, well, everything's built into that screen. And they're sitting on top of your desk or, or you carry it around. There's a laptop where many people aren't even using laptops. You know, Joe is waving his uh, iPhone at me because that thing is more powerful now probably than the computers in the first uh, the first rockets that went to the moon oh the first hey. rocket that went to the moon was had like the power of an apple II in it yeah i think your watch has more power <laughs> exactly than that. <laughs> it's unbelievable you can do do trick tra- dick tracy things with your watch by talking to it don't even need the phone that's correct at least if it's got a real red stem that is <laughs> so do you still do service today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've. Uh, but it's I've, different, isn't it? it? It is different. Apple's soldering. A, and a, one of the early problems that that came up with all personal computers is all the chips were on IC chips were plugged into sockets, and yeah. when when sock when when chips would heat up and and cool off, they would kind of wiggle themselves out of those sockets, and so some of the repairs you literally just push the the sockets the chips back down into their sockets uh i hate to admit this but apple sent out a brief memo once that with the apple threes that were really prone because they had a lot of chips in them they suggested raising the front end up about six inches and dropping it to reseed all the chips at once i didn't like doing that especially in front of my customers so we would normally take the logic board out and use a little chip puller and pull them all up and push them back down and and that way we didn't take a chance of stressing the the uh, traces on the on the boards but but that was a memo from apple at one point was drop them six inches but today i I believe they're all soldered in today everything's soldered in which has its pluses and minuses it's great that things don't uh, heat up and and cause their own failures but then when there's a service issue you can't replace just the chip you have to replace the whole board the whole board that can get expensive that can get expensive of course if it's uh Apple does give us credit for sending back bad port, bad parts. They've changed it now to where I can order parts. They'll ship me a part overnight. So 
theoretically I could get a machine to fix today. If I order the part by 5 o'clock p.m., the part will show up at my place by 10 o'clock the next morning, and I can get a customer fixed in 24 hours or less. That's amazing. That was a quick turnaround time, and they're not even dropping it off by drone, are they? That's not yet. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I remember that uh, used to take out a lot of screws. Yeah. Take them out of the bottom and take things apart, and now it seems like everything glued together. Well, a lot of so this... So if you... Let's say that you dropped your phone and it went, whoops, it shattered the screen, but how do you take that thing apart? I don't even see any screws on it. Well, there's there's two screws in a lot of the models um, that, that help hold the glass down, but the glass is glued in, so the, uh, the procedure to take those apart is you've got to soften the glue by putting it on a heat pad and and or cutting it out with a razor blade to get the phones apart. And that's true on most of the all-in-one IMAX as well. They're glued, the screens are glued onto the frame and you cut them out with a little special tool we've got that's kind of like a little pizza cutter. Go around the edge and you cut the glue out and then you have to replace the, the double stick tape. Wow. So instead of dropping them to fix them, now you have to either cook them or cut them. <laughs> Cooking and cut, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing how things have changed. But but you you can't actually replace a screen, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, you do that yourself? We we do the screen replacements on the uh, on the uh, computers. I'm I'm not authorized to fix the phones. Um, the Apple wants to make sure that they have a high quality control on the telephone so they they don't allow us to do that but for the screens you know we we can get the little pizza cutters to open the screens up and and purchase the uh the double stick tape to put them back together uh if the screen has a crack in it they're going to charge me a stock price to replace the screen but if it doesn't have a crack in it if it's just gone bad then there's an exchange price which is about half of that uh stock price now i've seen vendors uh, at the mall both here in Columbia and in Jeff City that advertise that they'll replace your screens for you and they'll do it while you're waiting is uh, is that okay I mean is well it it technically does void your warranty now sometimes your warranty might be out and you don't care um, if uh, most screens that are not OEM aren't going to be as bright and and so it's uh, you know what does OEM mean original equipment manufacturer so Uh um, if you want it to look as good as it did before you really want to have it fixed by using OEM parts and and, uh, the original parts to make sure that you get the same quality and brightness yeah that's uh, well I know that if it's an Apple product they often want you to come to an Apple store but Apple store their Apple store closest ones in uh, Westfield Mall yeah St. Louis yeah. or the uh, the plaza in uh, Kansas City. And uh, I know you can go to Best Buy, I think, to get some things fixed, too, or other vendors. But it's probably if you've got an Apple problem, it's best to go to an Apple-authorized Apple-authorized service. service dealers are going to are gonna do the repairs right at their shop as opposed to sending it off. The last I heard, and I don't know if it may have changed, but Best Buy, I believe, sends a lot of theirs to Apple for repair. I have that option. I generally don't uh, exercise it, but if anytime I don't want to do the repair myself, I can send it to Apple. They'll fix it and send it back to me. That just gives a customer a delay. So I'd rather do the training and get authorized to fix that product myself and, and take care of it. Well, what if I have like a, a, a Samsung Note or a, a Google Pixel or one of those phones? Uh, what do I do if I break them? Well, obviously, being an Apple fanboy, I'm going to suggest go out and buy an Apple product to replace it. <laughs> well, what if they did that? I mean, can and they've got all their their uh, contacts and their information and their apps on the uh, applications on their phone. Can you transfer those over from well, one platform from to another? Computer to computer, you can. Uh, I just did that for a customer last week. They his customer's wife had been using a windows machine and and he was wanting to get her into a mac so he bought a new macbook pro for her and brought me her windows machine and the macbook pro i took the hard drive out of the windows machine put it in an enclosure which is a little box that lets me hook it hook that hard drive onto the the uh 
the new Macintosh. It mounted right up on the finder of the Macintosh, and I was able to copy all their photos, all their music, and all their documents from their Microsoft Office. And then we installed the Microsoft Office for the Macintosh, and customer was basically able to do everything they had been doing on their Windows machine on their brand new Macintosh machine. Oh, so all is not lost. Correct. Yeah, well, things have changed so much. I mean, I got my first computer in 1979, and it was an Apple II, uh, 128K kilobytes, not megabytes, not gigabytes. You got a big one because they started out at 48K. <laughs> they started out at 48. Actually, I have to correct myself. Thank you, because it was a 48K integer. Before, okay, sure. Yeah, before, before integer the, basic. Yeah, that was an amazing machine, and that was... Uh, sat on the desk it had uh, slots in it i think seven slots that you could put different circuit boards into for your printer and for uh, all sorts of other attachments and it actually plugged into a television didn't right. have a monitor at that time did you use a cassette to load that or did you have a f floppy drive actually i had a cassette player yes it was a uh, it was amazing that you could actually sit there and and uh, play a cassette to uh, transfer programs into the computer and, and, and I thought I was so advanced at the time and as I look from there we went to dedicated machines and monitors and built-in monitors and monitors and computers together and then today we're starting to move away from computers and going to things like iPads which I guess technically is a computer, but iPads are just a little bit different, but don't we see a convergence between like the Mac and the iPad in, in terms of language, in terms of what they do? Well, they, yeah, they, a lot of our customers, um, for what they do, they're, they're, you know, I always say that most of my customers, uh, I use an 80-20 rule a lot. 80% of my customers don't use 20% of their computer, and it's probably even less than that. I'm not sure that I use 20% of my computer because it can do so much, and, and I use it to help manage my business and, and manage my, my schedule, my timing, and things like that. I always love the computers because you can write your own programs on those. It's a little bit harder to write the programs on the iPads and to run since I'm often running specific programs to help test other computers, can't really do that on a pad, so I'm always gonna need a computer to do my job, where a lot of people, they're just using it, their computer as a glorified uh, you know, secretary, and so an iPad can do that for them, because it can, it can help them take notes and do their emails and browse the internet and, and those type of things. Keep up with FaceTime, you know, the iPads can do FaceTime just like the phones, so for a lot of people, an iPad's all they need. It's amazing what an iPad can do anymore. In fact, their screens have gotten bigger and bigger. I think the biggest one is like 12.9 inches in diagonal. And uh, it's pretty powerful. I was, uh, uh, when I go on trips now, I, I most generally uh, use the iPad instead of dragging along a laptop. I, I'm the same way. If I'm, if I'm going on a, uh, something for myself my where my time is gonna be relaxing, I'll bring the iPad so I can keep up with emergency emails and, and the family with that kind of stuff. And, and I use my iPad for entertainment on the, on the plane ride to wherever I'm going. Uh, if I need to do business, so I, I do bring the computer. It's, uh, yeah, for general business, it, it does seem, but so many programs are spreadsheets and word processing and whatnot, you know, you can still do those. In fact, let's talk for a moment about where you keep that information. You used to keep it on a cassette tape and then went to a floppy drive and actually flopped and then it was the little hard smaller ones drive. was hard and then it got to hard they got drives. smaller and held more <laughs> yeah got smaller and held more in fact i remember in the ipod there was actually a hard drive that was smaller than two inches in size and then we went to something called ssd solid state drives which is all chips you can drop them and they don't break and that's what we now have in iPads and such, so they're a lot more durable and faster and bigger. Yes. It's amazing how much you can put onto one more than a terabyte. How big is a terabyte anyway? Well, a terabyte's going to be a thousand gigabytes, and a gigabyte is a thousand 
megabytes <laughs> and then <a laughs> megabyte is a thousand k so if you and then of course a k is a thousand bytes and a, and a byte is a character so you can do the math and and the storage that we have today is just amazing compared to where we started when when we got into the technology of buying machines that only had either 16 to 32 k of memory and now we're sending photos and other things to our friends and how big is a photo normally like let's say you take one on with your well iPhone. when you take one with your iphone you can choose a small medium or large format and i think the large is in the five meg size um depending on which phone you have of course because the the newer phones have better cameras and they'll even have larger detail and better pictures um, i don't recall the t the size but but they're certainly bigger than the memory you had on your original computers so how many pictures can I normally send with from your iPhone, let's say? You know, 10 or 12 at one time? Or? Oh, sure. That, uh, and again, some of that is going to be relying on your Internet service provider because sometimes they'll put a max size on your email that you can send. But uh, you could certainly take a, a, you know, a full, fill up your total phone memory and send it up to a, you know, a Dropbox or, or some other kind of cloud storage, and, and there wouldn't be a limit on those sizes. It, and probably after break, we'll uh, I'll ask you about iCloud. But uh, but first, uh, we're hearing a lot about something called five five uh, G. You know, and and right now up at the top of my screen it says four G. What does all that mean? Well, it's it's the generation of uh, of your phone technology or your phone signal technology. Five G uh, promises to to really amp up the speed, and and I bet a lot of the people that that have slower internets at their home maybe country homes and such like that will really be excited to get onto a 5g network because they'll be able to really ramp up the speed of of browsing the internet but 5g isn't available from at&t yet and not, that's who my provider is or well in fact no local provider has 5g days not yet and I, I i would suspect columbia won't get it for for a year or two you'll see it in the major markets first I thought I read something that Verizon had now started 5G in New York City. Is that right? And, uh, and they were testing it, and they said when it worked, it was incredibly fast when it worked. But it was sporadic. So, uh, well, like That's anything some, else, it takes a while to get used to. And get they the have bugs to, out. I think they have to change something on the towers, too. Yeah, they do have the to upgrade the towers. towers. So, well, things get faster and faster, and... And I know in the schools, you know, they went to computers, and now many of them have gone to, uh, what do they call those things, Chromebooks, where they don't even have any anything in the computer. They all yeah, get on the Internet. They're, they're a network-based uh, laptop, if you will. Everything goes straight through the Internet, um, which is good for the people that set them up because there's very little setup on the actual device. You do all the, the changes on the network, the administrators do, and... And you could swap one out if there's a problem, you know, and don't have to transfer any information because it's all up in the in the cloud, which is basically a network server that's transparent to the user. Yeah, we're going to come back and talk about that the, the cloud here soon. But you have other interests, too. We've been talking about computers. We'll come back to that. But sometimes you go to basketball. You get, you're kind of devoted to basketball here, aren't you? Yeah, I, I've, I've become a... A big fan of basketball. Uh, college hoops is, uh, I don't miss hardly any. In fact, I can only think of one home basketball game that I've missed in the last, what, 30, 40 years. And I happened to be on a vacation that week. And it turned out that, that uh, there was an ice storm that came through Columbia at the time. And, and there was only, I watched it on tape, and it was, uh, there was only about a thousand people in the whole arena <laughs> so uh even had i been home i'm not sure if i'd have been able to make it to the arena because of the ice storm that had come through well if you've been going that long you must have incredibly good seats now well <laughs> they uh they do charge at mizzou arena to to move up into better seats but uh but we've we did get to choose our seats when they built mizzou arena um they had a it was um a selection time you know they'd invite us over and they did a uh, I forget what they called it, but a, a seat vision type of a scenario where you'd go in and they say these are the seats available, and 
you could click on one of the seats and they would give you a, a what the court would look like from that vantage point and so we were able to get into the lower bowl uh behind the tiger bench so uh, I was pretty happy with, with the selections we were able to make. When Mizzou went to the SEC network, uh, initially they had to put the visitors away from the students, so they swapped the, the home team and the visitor team. So now we're sitting behind the visitor bench instead of the home bench. And that kind of upset me since we had to pay extra to choose our seats, and we chose behind the home team, and now all of a sudden we're sitting behind the visitors team. But last year they switched that back around, and so now we're behind the home team again. I guess it's been two years ago they switched that around. Well, you've seen some changes with that basketball team too, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. That uh, well, at least uh, you know the, the, the attendance has picked up again, though. Had to. It's it's picked up. Yeah, there was a lot of hype uh, when the Porter brothers came over. And that filled up the arena. Unfortunately, you know, Michael Porter Jr. got injured during the very first game. And so oh, yeah. uh, we got to watch his brother play quite a bit. And he was he was fun to watch. And then, um, unfortunately, he got hurt the following year. So <laughs> the, the Porters were a bust here at Mizzou. But uh, hopefully they do well in their careers. Has the injury rate been a, a, a big concern? Well, it's obviously a concern when, when the whole team is kind of counting on a I think Michael Porter was the number one draft choice, uh, or the the top recruit for the nation. And when he only got to play two minutes uh, at the beginning of the year, and he, he did come back at the end of the year during our postseason, but he was kind of out of shape then, so we didn't get much out of him. <laughs> well, athletics is interesting. You do you make the, to the uh, the other sports to, uh, events as well? We also go to all the football games. Uh, un, un, I'll say, unfortunately, uh, I, my anniversary falls right in the at the end of the football season, at the beginning of the basketball season. So quite often there's a game on my anniversary night, and my wife's been really kind to allow us to go to the games <laughs> even, on, even on the anniversary day, and, and then we'll just celebrate on another night. I'm, I'm assuming Kathy doesn't go with you? No, she actually goes to all the games with me. Oh, she does. She sure does. Basketball yeah. and football as well. Basketball. She's a little bit of a fair weather fan on the football. So if it's a rainy day, <laughs> I'll be sitting out there by myself. But or really cold or, or windy. She's and, pretty good on the cold days, but uh, but on the rainy days, I, I go by myself. Oh, I can't blame her either. I mean, it was raining when it came up here today, and it was. Uh, but uh, what about baseball or any of the other events? I've only gone to a couple of the baseball games here. Uh, I am a big Cardinal fan. I'd like to get down to Bush Stadium a year, once or twice a year, but I haven't haven't been a big college baseball fan, so I, I don't put that on very high on the priority. Well, uh, why don't we go ahead and take the break, and we'll talk about iCloud. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Tom Piper sitting in for Dick Belton while he is uh, off on vacation. And today we're interviewing Joe Mertzliff, longtime Columbia resident, Apple user and serviceman, and, and a great enthusiast of local sports, mostly basketball, of course. You know, one of the promises made uh, before we took the, the news break, Joe, was to talk about the cloud. Now, on the Apple side, we talked about iCloud, but let's explain to our listening audience first, what's a cloud all about? What is that? Well, Apple came up with the cloud technology, or the cloud acronym, I shouldn't even call it an acronym, just a, it's a, it seems to be easier for customers to understand when you say stored in the cloud, and, and when people say it's stored in the cloud, it's really on a server. So uh, we have all these hard drives locally at our on our personal computers. Well, the servers that are sitting at the uh, the mainframes that have huge hard drives, they're also attached to the internet. And when you when you're referring to storing it in the cloud, it's really just storing it on the internet at somebody else's really big mainframe. And if you've got a, a good cloud service, they're going to back up that mainframe. And so you might 
be saving it and it might be in Chicago, but then they'll copy it over to San Francisco and to New York and, and so it'll be in multiple places. So if there is a catastrophe in one of those places, your data should still be safe in one of the other places. So when you get a backup to the cloud, whether it be iCloud or, or Dropbox or you know Box, whichever system you decide to go with, it, it's a good safe place for your information. You do have the limitation of the speed to get the information back. You know, most of us at, at our homes at, at best have, you know, 100 megs down. You can pay a little extra and get a gig down. But if you think about it, a, a gigabyte network, if you had to restore a terabyte of information, it's still going to take several days to, to get your information recovered. So these kids are using their Chromebooks in the school. What they're looking at could actually be information sitting in San Francisco. Absolutely, yeah. It could, it, and you don't really care as the user where it is as long as you have access to it. Right. So if electricity goes out, you're down the tubes. Or if your internet goes out, if, which sometimes happens. Yeah, if your internet provider can't provide internet, then, then you are down the tubes and, and you can't get much done with one of those types of machines. You know, it's amazing when you think about the internet's only been around for, what, just a little over 20 years? Right around, yeah. And how our lives have changed. I mean, from time to time, I look down at my watch, not because I'm looking at the time, but because someone sent me a message. And I'm going, well, that watch is actually talking to a radio signal, which is connected to my AT&T service, which is connected to the Internet, which is connected to a server, which is nothing more than some big hard drive. Exactly somewhere else in the world. It could be in India, for that matter. So we take all this for granted. I remember as we were growing up, we'd wait until after 7 o'clock at night to make long-distance calls because it was cheaper. Yes. And now we don't even think about distance when we make a phone call, whether I'm calling you 15 miles away or I'm calling my brother 2,000 miles yeah, away. You, all you really think of is the time zone. Is it? Are they still sleeping? <laughs> That's very true. Very true. So the iCloud has really become a very, very important component uh, for Apple products because I know that, uh, well, I get like five gigabytes free as a service, but I actually have uh, a terabyte that I use to back up my iPads, my computers, uh, my information, which is really important because trying to replace it is uh, very time consuming. But Interesting that my iPad can back up automatically, but my Macintosh doesn't, at least not to the iCloud. Well, you, you could have it automatically back up your documents and your desktop. And a lot of people, uh, and I'm guilty of this as well, have an awful lot of their stuff on their desktop. because It's not because I don't understand the file system, but it's easier and it's kind of in front of me and helps me remember to, to deal with something. So Apple's realized that, and that's why they not only back up the document folder, but also the desktop folder. And it's a choice in the system preferences. You can say, back up my documents and my desktop to the cloud. Obviously, they, they make that convenient, but then they also get to reap the benefits of you paying extra for that iCloud storage if you want to use more than your free five gigabytes. Well, it's often, there's a lot of information that's available on the Internet, and I know young people are very dependent upon that for communication. And, you know, it's all the cartoons and jokes. All you see is, you know, kids are looking at their phones as they're sitting in restaurants talking to each other across the table by phone. But there's still a place, I think, for groups of people to gather together that uh, have an interest in technology. You know, some 35 years ago, uh, I work with some local folks in Jeff City to start a group that uh, we called Applejack Macintosh Users Group. Now we took the word Mac out because Apple's all about a wide range of products. And uh, that was in 1985. What do you know about some of the histories and benefits of something like uh, Applejack? Well, at Applejack, you know, I, I believe it's uh, it started out in, in one of the stores that I worked in on um, Missouri Boulevard there in Jeff City at the Century Next Computers. And then when we moved the, uh, when, when Century Next finally went out of business and, and my store expanded into Jeff City, the, the meetings were held over there. After that, uh, I know we, we met at uh, 
one of the elementary schools or Lewis middle schools, Lewis and Clark Middle School, and and now our meetings are at uh, Immaculate Conception Kennedy Hall. It's a it's a great group because we find a lot of users at different levels. Um, we've got you know a handful or more of of techie type users that are gracious enough to donate their time and and do presentations on a monthly basis and then we've got novice users that have barely touched a device uh, up to those extensive users and everything in between so uh, it's been interesting over the years going to the meetings where when you see someone come in as a brand new user and then a couple years later they're answering the questions that the brand new users are asking. So it's it, it it I feel like we've benefited by us teaching the the newbies then the the newbies as they become middle users they can teach the new newbies. It was uh was the first Tuesday of every month at 7 in the evening of meets at Kennedy Hall in Jefferson City. There are members from what Jefferson City, Columbia, Fulton, pretty much mid-missouri area isn't it yeah we get we get people that travel uh you know 30 minutes or more in some cases to to make it to those meetings we had a, a member from uh sedalia that that used to come a lot um trying to think um if we had some even further out than that from the lake mobily we had a mobily yeah. member for a while yeah that was uh well, i think there's over 80 members and what maybe a third of those come to meetings yeah what if it can't come to a meeting can i still can I see what's going on? Yeah, we started uh, doing a Facebook Live. Um, I think it's been almost a year now that uh, that you can tune in uh, and get a live broadcast uh, over Facebook, or or even if you were at the meeting and you didn't take good notes and you want to look back, you can go back to Facebook the next morning and or the next anytime you want and and look up that that Applejack Facebook page and and uh, watch the first or second half of that meeting. And when I watch it, what am I going to see? Is it, uh, uh, what's a typical meeting like? It's what, around two hours long? Yeah, we, we usually spend about uh, 10 or 15 minutes with introductions and talking about new products that, that have been introduced, uh, give the membership a chance to ask some questions. Um, uh, I usually provide a tip of the month. Uh, that way everybody can, I don't try to force feed them with, with little shortcuts uh, and expect them to remember it. So I just try to give them one a month to help them do something handy with their device, whether it be their iPhone or their computer or their iPad. Uh, give them something new to try, and quite often they'll try it right then as I'm explaining it to them. Uh, ask their little questions, and, and uh, then we'll move on to the meeting. And we'll have a, a presentation in the first half of the meeting, then we'll take a break uh, where we have a lot of chit chat between the different users going over their issues uh, uh, get some snacks we've got a, a great snack jack uh, lady that makes sure that we always have snacks there and then we'll have a second half presentation which could be an extension of the first half or it might be a totally different topic so you go all the way from tips to answering questions to making presentations of uh, of current interest um, and um, are all the meetings at IC? No, we try to get away from IC at least once a year and, and try to visit a business that, that uses the Apple products, whether it be the pads. We've gone to a restaurant that strictly used pads to, to uh, monitor their business. We've gone to print shops that use Macs to, to print their stuff. We try to get to a different business every year, and we've been fortunate enough to have several businesses host us every year to uh to show us how they use their products we've actually been to the crossing church here in columbia was a big user of ipads and macs and other things and uh in a theater mm -hmm. here in columbia as well and and uh, so there's a wide variety of businesses that are dependent upon technology it's a large part people kind of helping people that uh I, I find it interesting when one person asks a question they get an answer it often adds leads to another question that they hadn't thought about when they first came in and it's very educational sometimes very entertaining sometimes a little frustrating because sometimes there's not a ready answer to the question or it's a very complicated question that uh well that's one of the reasons that we have people who are specialists as well as people who are new to the technology but if i wanted to watch it online where would i go 
Well, if you go, if you have a Facebook account, you can search Applejack Users Group, and if you just scroll through that feed, you'll see videos. Obviously, the the live video will be the first Tuesday of the month at seven o'clock, and you can c scroll back and watch previous month's meetings if you want. And then there's the tips that that I put up every Tuesday will be there as well. So if I go to Applejack, that's spelled A P P L E J A C dot o r g no k it's um but that will take you directly to the website and then you can click on a video there which will take you to facebook and um so it's good to be able to get a gathering uh, we're still uh hoping that more young people join but we're finding that more and more people join because of ipads and iphones and Generally, at least once a year, we have educational courses in addition to the meetings uh, about uh, iPads. For our members, specialists in that, uh, is very helpful. And uh, George has been very good at that. Yes. But what, personally, what benefit do you get? I mean, you're you're educated in all this. Uh, you don't you give tips. You don't often get <laughs> tips. You ever learn anything when you go? Oh, I I learn something every month. It's uh, it's. It's you don't I don't go there trying to learn something, but I do learn something. And and one of the things that that I have noticed is most all of my customers speak in different languages. You know, there's there's the tech talk, where you know, we, and we we have our board meetings uh, once a month. I've been privileged to be on the board for the last several years, and and at our board meetings we'll talk the tech talk mostly because we all kind of know the tech but then when we get to the general monthly meetings we have to scale it down and, and talk at the level that the, the the users that that are at our meetings talk and so i learn a lot of what people perceive um, a problem in the way they describe it and it actually helps me troubleshoot problems down the road because I might hear one user refer to something by one name where it, it might be actually a computer name, but they're using it in the wrong context. But it helps me have a broader mind that when people ask a question, uh, they might not be using the right syntax, the right wording for that question. <laughs> and, and I learn a lot of what other people might be calling things. And so I'm constantly having to understand their question. And so I'll play it back to them and say, "Do you? so are you asking how to do this, this, and this, and and have them confirm that I understood their question, where quite often they might say, "Oh no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this other thing," and and I'll and I'll try to politely inform them that well, those words mean this, and what you might have meant to be was use these words. And, Good point. And that's uh, it's that's one of the things I get out of it is it helps me troubleshoot other customers because. I learn what language a school teacher might be using versus a farmer versus, uh, you know, it's the diversity of, of users we have at these groups. You know, we've got doctors, teachers, lawyers. It's, it's uh, quite a diverse group. Very, very diverse. And speaking of diverse, you know, we've been talking about computer-related stuff, but technology is much broader. You have chips and everything these days, and you have a broader interest in technology too, don't you? I mean, I, I, don't I you have, do some flying? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, intrigued with planes all my life, and I, I started RC airplanes. Uh, gosh, I was still living in Columbia before we moved to Centralia, so I was probably 13 or 14 when I got my first RC airplane, which is a, a radio control airplane. You know, I started off like all the little kids do with the little string that only con controls the elevator and you fly a circle around yourself with a little gas engine. And I graduated from that to uh, radio control gliders and then radio control powered airplanes with, with gas engines that would fly, you know, several hundred feet in the air and get pretty small. And then uh, nowadays uh, we have drones, which are uh, you know electric quadcopters. So it'll be you know four four blades, and they've got chips built into them with GPS. So they can be extremely easy for the beginner because they'll prevent you from crashing if you just let go of the sticks. It just hovers where you let go, and then you can put it in a mode that. You just, it doesn't matter what its orientation is, it'll, you just pull it towards you and it's going to fly back towards you. 
Well, and, and it probably does one of the things you couldn't do with the airplanes or remote control before, which is take pictures. That's true. You Changes can, the whole idea of photography. I, I'm one of the few drone flyers that hardly ever uses a camera. Uh, <laughs> most people I know that have drones purchase them to be able to do video or spying on people or whatever. But, but uh, when I put my camera on my drone it's because i'm going to go do acrobats with my drone and i want to take pictures of doing a loop or a roll or a you know a flip of some sort and and that's i've chased my uh my son around on the jet ski with the with the drone before just to try to have aerial footage of him riding the jet skis and it's uh i do different things with with my camera than most people do with their drones well i notice it's interesting how drones are being used today uh, real estate agents, for example, when they were doing listings, are now using drones to do flyovers. Yes. They, so you can see the roofs, you can see the plot of land, you can see how things are laid out. Uh, there are people who are inspectors who are doing the same thing. In fact, I've seen that the inspectors who are now using drones up the aerial towers in order to do an inspection of the tower structure itself. Well, I bet that saves them a lot of money because hiring people to climb those towers is probably <laughs> a little bit more expensive. Right, that was, uh, so, and drones have gotten very inexpensive, you know, less than $100 for the, for the toy type, but they can get pretty expensive too with the, and I've seen, um, I go to a computer electronics show every year and I've seen big drones that people are riding in now and they're talking about, experimenting with taxis that will be point-to-point -point automated no pilots just go from rooftop to rooftop on on the tall towers that that could be a little bit uh scary to to have <laughs> no pilot i mean the air traffic controller to to have to deal with a drone could could be interesting i've i've got big ones like phantom but i've also got little bitty ones i fly into a house you ever fly in a house yeah I, i've got a little palm-sized uh quadcopter that that i fly in my basement and and it's a lot of fun uh, I, I i play little games with it i fly over my ping pong table you know and try to go from paddle to paddle try to just get precise on landing on a ping pong paddle and then flying over the net and <laughs> and so it's uh i try to challenge myself to be really accurate with it uh as opposed to just you know again i'm i'm doing it from the rc angle more so than the photography angle so i'm i'm trying to have precise control with the thumbs speaking of the home Home technology has changed a lot in the last few years. I remember way back, I got something called X10, which would be little modules you'd plug in, a, in the wall and they would, signals would travel over your home electrical circuits from one to the other, like control lights and that sort of thing. Today, everything goes through Wi-Fi. And in fact, uh, I just got a, um, a light strip from a company called Eve. It was, uh, uh, they were an evolution from Elgato. And Eve actually talks to my Wi-Fi, and I put this light strip around the back of my large television to give a glow as a background, because I'm always a believer in having some light on your TV. And I can talk to it, my wife can walk in the room and go, uh, dim the light, dim the light strip. Uh, light strip, go orange, go purple, whatever. And I control everything by voice over my HomePod. What's, what's your experience with smart homes? I've actually got quite a few devices myself. Um, I've got a, uh, a Google Home. The Google Home interacts with, I've got some Wii remotes, some Wiimote that uh, are on electrical outlets, so I can turn lights on and off with my Google control. I've got a thermostat with an Alexa built into it, so I can use voice commands to, to change my temperature of my home. I can also program that one from my telephone when I'm not even at home. My wife and I were discussing the other day about our, our bedtime temperatures and and so we were out at a restaurant and I just right then and there changed my sleep temperature to a different temperature. From the uh, restaurant? From the restaurant told, so I didn't forget when I got home to change it. I just changed it on the phone right then and there and it was interesting. I saw it on the news this morning that, that uh, E-Star was uh, the Energy Star compliance. They, they were recommending some pretty hot temperatures for home, away, and sleep time. I think they said 78 degrees when you're home, right. 80 when you're away, and 82 when you sleep. 
I don't know how many people are going to get much sleep in 82 degree temperatures. It seems kind of warm to me, unless you run the fan. You know. Well, even then, I, the uh, the newscast fan. I was watching suggested that if I come visit you and your t- your home is 78, I'm probably going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Uh, well, I know the cameras are a big thing at home, too. And when I first got a home camera, I think it was what, $150 more for Cisco. And now I've got Weiss cameras, and they're, that's why, W-Y-Z-E, $20 for camera. Yeah. It's just amazing how that's come down. Joe, if, uh, if you wrote a book, what would you think the title would be? Well, after I'm all not, this experience, I'm not much of a writer, but but I I uh, I really enjoy sailing. I did a I went sailing up at Mark Twain Lake every weekend for about ten years, and you're constantly adjusting your sails when you're sailing to to get the most out of it. And something I've noticed working with Apple computers over the last forty years is Apple's going to change the way they do business with their dealers uh, on a pretty regular basis so if i were to write a book i'd probably call call it adjust your sales if you want to get where you're going adjust your sales that's good doesn't matter where the wind's going constantly you can actually attack against the wind if you want that's correct that's amazing what uh you have any, any other thoughts as you look back over your life you know as you moved around and started in technology been in technology for a long time um, what are the thoughts do you have you want to share with us? Well, the, the thing I learned early on, um, Dad helped me when we got the business started. He was a uh, grocery store manager, and uh, so he knew retail really well. I knew the technology pretty good, and he wanted to make sure and instilled in me to grow slowly and so you could afford to grow. I saw too many companies go out of business because they tried to grow too fast and got upside down with the banks. And so I think one of the reasons I've been in business for 40 years is because I did grow slowly and, and only only expand it when I could afford to do so. That's good advice. That's very good advice. And uh, if you were to do that into one piece of advice, would grow slowly be your piece of advice? Or, Probably so, yeah. Or grow just adjust it, grow your sales? It, adjust your sales. <laughs> <laughs> grow slowly. <laughs> That's an interesting combination. But Joe, I really appreciate you being here today. I thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to being able to spend more time together with the club and with other activities Next week, uh, Dick will be back. Uh, I'll be talking to uh, Linda Esnado. She's a film producer, a director. Uh, and I like very special thanks to Dick Dalton uh, for letting me sit in his chair this week because this is my first sample, of, uh, first sample episode of Tom's Tech Talk. Uh, contact me by my email at macquest.com if you want to encourage me to do any more Tech Talk or contact KOPN if you'd like to continue this uh, sort of thing but as a wrap up Dick always had a little ending the ritual that I'm going to continue it's uh, remember folks wherever you are that it's your world please leave your world cleaner more peaceful and more loving than you found it because if it is to be it's up to us until next time we sign off now thank you